Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Brian Gracely. I'm director of product strategy for <clears throat> for Red Hat's OpenShift platform. Um, we are we're kind of the core group within Red Hat that's responsible for um, for Kubernetes, for uh, you know platform integration, um, for having to to run containers at scale, and then we also you know work uh, very closely with uh, you know. The other groups that they work quite a bit with the CNCF, so the groups working on projects like Istio and um, you know some sort of modern uh, application development. We work with the middleware group and so forth. Um, but OpenShift is ultimately uh, kind of the, the the core container platform for Red Hat. Um, you know, working closely with uh, with the Linux platform with RHEL in terms of delivering the container runtime. My Kubernetes knowledge is 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 okay. Um, I actually recently did a roundup of managed hosting options okay. for Kubernetes and, of course, encountered OpenShift. But maybe let's just do a little bit of background on what OpenShift is and I guess why mm-hmm. Red Hat created it in the first place. Yeah, so um, and I apologize for anybody who's listening because history lessons are never super interesting, but let me put it in context. Um, <clears throat> Red Hat, you know, probably six or seven years ago, there was a, you know, a huge interest in the marketplace in, you know, trying to make developers more productive, um, trying to make it simpler for developers to just write code and then, you know, push it somewhere that would just run, right? Hide all the infrastructure complexity, security complexities. And so we got started, OpenShift really got started when people were talking about platform as a service or PaaS. And, you know, there was a lot of different PaaS platforms that were out there at the time. There was Heroku, there was Google App Engine, Cloud Foundry Project. Um, And, you know, we were all moderately successful at helping developers, you know, uh, you know, write some code and then not have to care about it. The, the problem with the the kind of the market, that market segment in general was there was so many options and we never really got to any sort of standardization. And so you never got the benefit of, you know, what, what open communities tend to do, which is, um, you know, there's a a few competing type of uh, approaches to solving a problem. Um, eventually one of them, tends to be where the community gravitates to and and then you get acceleration. So we as lots of different PaaS platforms, we never saw that acceleration. We never saw standardization of how to package your applications. Uh, we never saw standardization of kind of the the orchestration or how to run the the applications. And so what happened was you had um, you know in around 2014 or so, 2013, 2014, you had you had the Docker project come along, and what Docker essentially did was made it really easy to um, to get containers running. Um, you know, they made it simple to use. Um, you know, they standardized kind of a way to to use C groups and and uh, namespaces in Linux. So that sort of solved half the problem. It was like, okay, great, now we have a standard way to package an application in a container, and that was always more complicated than it should have been in the past. And then, um, and then Google came along, uh, and said, Hey, we're going to release this project called Kubernetes. Um, it's based on a bunch of DNA that we have in turn internal to Google. Um, and it's going to help manage containers at scale. And, you know, that became the other half of the equation, which was, okay, what, how do you build the engine standard way for building the engine to run lots of containers at scale? And so what OpenShift decided at that point was, you know, Red Hat basically 
we, we've always found that the, the best formula for us and for our customers is go to where there is some, some standardization and open, sh- open source, um, contribute heavily to those projects and try and make them successful. And so we made a really big decision back in, uh, 2014 and we said, we're going to, we're going to stop doing homegrown uh, container container packaging and, and orchestration, and we're going to get behind the Docker project and the Kubernetes project, and those became the core elements of what's in OpenShift. So OpenShift is, you know, fundamentally kind of a containers as a service or platform as a service platform. It can it can operate sort of in either mode, um, but under the covers, it's it's using Kubernetes as the uh, the engine that says you have an application you'd like to run it. Um, this is this is how we're going to run it. Highly available, highly secure, highly redundant and resilient, and so forth. Just out of interest, I mean, firstly, how long has OpenShift actually existed as a, as a um, So it went to market in 2011. Um, so it was in, you know, it was in the marketplace for probably three and a half years before, you know, as a purely a PaaS platform. And in 2000, so that was, that was version one and version two of OpenShift were, you know, kind of the, the PaaS specific um, Red Hat homegrown you know, it was all, it was always entirely open source, but, but kind of homegrown technology. And then version three of OpenShift, which was the beginning of 2015, um, was entirely converted over to being Kubernetes based. So we've been, we've been doing Kubernetes, um, you know, since Kubernetes 1.0, uh, before 1.0 and, and, you know, so three plus years now and, in the market. And did you use something else before, or it just wasn't, it, it wasn't a necessary option at the time? <sighs> Well, everybody, everybody who had a PaaS at the time, whether it was us or Heroku or anybody, um, under the covers, they were all using containers, right? That was that was the way to make it efficient use of, of, of uh, computer resources. Um, and we all had sort of a homegrown version of what Kubernetes does, which is, you know, orchestrate deploying the application, making sure it's it's healthy, um, uh, you know, restarting it if it fails. Um, so, yeah, we had a, you know, think of it as sort of the OpenShift orchestrator, if you will. We, we never really gave it a name because you didn't see it. It was just you know, processes under the covers. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a big leap of faith for us to take because essentially we were taking the engine out of the airplane while it was flying and, and replacing it with something else. Um, but it's, you know, turned out to be a really good bet. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's getting in very early, working really closely with Google, um, and working with the, the broader Kubernetes community was, was a really important decision for us. And, and as far as I understood from my own research for the article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, you add a, a fair few things to your implementation of Kubernetes as well. Well, so so this is this is where history is is a little bit important. So, you know, when when well when, when Kubernetes first got started, it it was a really limited functionality. Um, you know, pe- people people look at Kubernetes now and they go, well, it, you know, it does more things. There's more stuff included in the project. But when it first got started, it basically was, it was an API and it was a scheduling engine, right? It didn't, it, you know, it doesn't provide a lot of the things that we expect from people. So there was no container registry, you know, a place where you could store your containers. Um, it didn't really have a standard way to, to interconnect networking. It didn't have a standard way to interconnect storage. Um, it didn't. It it didn't really understand the concept of of anything but a stateless application, and so 
what what went on was you know you had customers who said this seems like interesting technology but you know this is never going to work in my environment because it doesn't do a lot of these things um you know what do i do and so we we ended up kind of doing two things one was um we we had done a lot of those things in the PaaS platform, you know, the ability to attach storage, the ability to, you know, do complex networking, routing and so forth. And so we first and foremost said, okay, we're going to take a lot of the knowledge that we have and put them back into the Kubernetes community. That was always, that's always been what we do, right? That's, that's always our, our model is upstream first and then things become commercial. Um, and at the time, the Kubernetes community could only handle so much stuff, right? There was only so much upstream development they could handle and integrate and so forth. And so um, there was some things that we did uh, in OpenShift that, you know, we've been trying for a long time to push into Kubernetes. They just, it was the wrong time or, you know, the community wasn't capable of dealing with it. So, you know, there's some things that we have done or we had done um, that eventually became it either became part of Kubernetes. Um, so, like for example, we wrote a lot of the uh, storage integration, um, you know, for integrating different types of storage, block storage, and file storage. And so, you know, we did that, and and it was you know it was in our platform very early because we already had the code. Um, we wrote a lot of the role based access control or RBAC. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that we had done. The, the other thing that's happened is, you know, there were there were some technologies that that didn't exist when Kubernetes started. Um, for example, there was never a concept in Kubernetes of like, how do I how do I describe an application? Um, you know, so if I if I want the application to say it's always got, you know, five replicas of it running and, and these are the you know, this is the label that I want because the label is going to tell me which project it's associated with, you know, kind of a descriptive thing. There was kind of some really primitive stuff that existed. And, and so, you know, having <clears throat> us having worked with a lot of enterprise customers and sort of knowing what they needed, we said, well, you know, we're going to create something. And so we created a concept uh, several years ago called templates and templates are templates are nothing more than just, again, um, a descriptive file that makes sense to developers. Well, um, over time, uh, an, uh, uh, an open source project came along called Helm, um, which has now become kind of the de facto standard. And, you know, we look at that and we go, OK, cool. Um, you know, we're not going to throw away the thing we have because there's a, a bunch of customers that use it. But we are absolutely going to get behind, um, you know, now supporting Helm as the the package manager. And so, you know, we've we've since added support for, uh, you know, for doing, you know, for people bringing Helm charts, which is the, you know, the new um, kind of a manifest file. Um, so things like that happen. Um, there's been other work that we've done. Um, like we're one of the, the only companies that for a long time did multi-tenancy for Kubernetes. Um and, and so we, you know, we, we kind of said, okay, we know what, what it does. And then customers came back to us and said, well, that's, that's not going to work for us. We're a company that has multiple divisions or, you know, have to have isolation for security reasons. We need multi-tenancy. And so we built that, um, into OpenShift and, um, but a lot of the things that, we're in OpenShift to make that happen, um, have subsequently either we've helped do it or other people have helped do it, put it back into uh, upstream Kubernetes. So the way to the way to look at it is um, what we do for Kubernetes is is 100 percent Kubernetes. Like we don't make any changes whatsoever to the core APIs. Um, 
or anything like that. So if anybody says, Hey, is this compatible with, with Kubernetes? Yes, it's, it's a hundred percent compatible. There's, there's nothing that we change from that perspective. And we'd be crazy to do that given how much people expect Kubernetes to be interoperable. What we do do, what we have done is, you know, we, we see that there are some areas that, um, you know, customers specifically want that are kind of enterprise specific. Um, and we've done some, some things above and beyond that. So, you know, the multi-tenancy stuff, um, you know, integrating like, uh, uh, a more advanced um, service catalog and user interface. But those are all, you know, again, they're above and beyond anything that Kubernetes does. Um, they're more platform level, user experience, developer experience types of things. So one of the reasons we, we lined this interview up um, was that, uh, well, actually, yeah, almost two weeks ago now, um, Red Hat announced, well, I guess both parties announced that um uh, CoreOS was being acquired by Red Hat. Um, I, I think they've always been a, a company and a bunch of projects that have appealed to me. Firstly, I guess because they're one of these companies that were sort of, uh, I guess they, they had very little history before the kind of container, the modern container space. So it's sort of their container native company, I guess. Um, but also because there's actually quite a lot of CoreOS people here in, in Berlin who I've met. So, <laughs> so, 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 um, it was always, uh, just, uh, projects that I heard mentioned a lot at meetups and things here. Um, and I mean, I, I know you can't talk too much about what that's going to mean to OpenShift yet? I, I think probably prim- primarily just because you don't actually know yet, not for any any legal reasons or anything. Uh, they have a lot of technologies. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's interesting. One of the things that fascinated me the most, um, just because I, I've met some of the evangelists behind it, uh, is because they they one of their projects is the Rocket or Rocket, however you want to pronounce it, container format, which they've always. Uh, evangelized is, is better than Docker, uh, for various reasons. Um, but it, it's not massively well supported in, in tooling. Um, I mean, uh, without going into any detail, if you don't know at all, but is, is that something that you feel could do with better support in, um, in Kubernetes or, or will it sort of, uh, maybe vanish somewhat? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's kind of take, um, I want to break it up into two parts because there's a couple of interesting things that you highlighted there. So, um, the, the core OS team is, is a really interesting group, uh, for, and, and, you know, it's funny you say like they didn't really have any history and you would think that because they're, um, they're a bunch of young people. And so you go, Oh, well, they're, they're only so old. They can only, you know, they, they must have, but if you, so the, the, the two founders, uh, um, Alex and, and uh, 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 Brandon, um, it, so the two founders basically had started a company before, right? They had sold a company to Rackspace. And the thing that's really interesting about them is, is they've been operators in a prior life. And so they brought, when they started CoreOS, they basically said, um, if, if, if I was an operator today, starting in the world today, I would be really interested in in having an environment that is like always secure. I don't want to spend all my time constantly like patching and maintaining operating systems and environments like why can't there be 
an environment that would just sort of auto update for me. And since it's auto updating, it's going to always get me as close as possible to being, you know, kind of in that secure state, right? Like it's going to have the most common patches, the most frequent patches. And oh, by the way, if I was building it from scratch, like I wouldn't include a lot of this other stuff. I would start from the bare minimum. So that was, that was like the foundation of their company was we want to build highly automated, highly secure environments. And oh, by the way, we're going to do it all in the open source community, right? Which, you know, is kind of a crazy concept to just for somebody to take on because it's a, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge idea. You know, we're going to, you know, Alex likes to say things like we're going to secure the internet, which is an insanely big idea, um, that you're going to do it in open source, you know, as a little company sounds crazy because, you know, communities are big and how do you influence big communities is, is a small, but that's what they did. And, you know, so you look at, some of the ideas they've had and they, they seemed really radical. They seemed radical back in 2013 and so forth. And you were like, okay, well, you know, you guys are young, maybe you don't know what you don't know. So we'll, let's see where it goes. And, and they just, they just started executing and they're really, really, really good engineers. They're world-class engineers. They um, have been very focused on, you know, how to build distributed systems. So, I mean, uh, you know, they started off with, with core OS Linux, which is now called Lin- uh, container Linux. Um, they built, they built etcd, which has become this you know, worldwide phenomenon as a key value distributed key value store. Um, you, you mentioned rocket, you know, their, their thing was they were a small company. They didn't want to create rocket. They wanted to work in the Docker community. And, um, they just found that, you know, the direction of the Docker community, where it was going in terms of security and in terms of kind of, you know, could it be maintained and could it be secure? They, they tried really hard and they just, you know, they weren't able to make it, you know, to make the the changes that they wanted to have change. And so they were kind of forced to, to create rocket. And, and then what happened was the community ultimately said, hold on guys, we appreciate what you're doing, but creating a big fragment and forcing the industry to sort of pick isn't, isn't necessarily the best thing for the community. And so, you know, while rocket still exists, the, the, the mechanism to do the things they want to do has ultimately become the thing that's now called OCI, which is the open container initiative. Right. So, you know, the, the way to look at rocket is not so much like as an individual project, is it still, you know, heavily maintained and is it everywhere? The way to look at it is they were able to accomplish the thing they wanted to do through the OCI. And the, the really nice byproduct of that is, Oh, and it's, it's now a standard, right. And, and every, and like lots of companies can, you know, contribute to that red hat does and Google does and Microsoft does. And so, you know, they accomplished what they wanted to do. It's not necessarily called rocket anymore, but you know, because they, because they've been so focused on saying, Hey, we're going to do things in the open community. You know, you have to look at that and say, that's a win for them because as a little company, you don't want to own the project. You want to be maybe driving it. Um, but you know, they don't own etcd anymore. It's, it's a, you know, massively used community project. We use it, we use it inside of OpenShift. Google uses it. And, um, so I think that was, you know, if you, if you get back to saying like, you know, why, why was Red Hat interested in this company, which is kind of ultimately what, what a lot of people are asking. 
Yeah, that would have been my next question. So yeah, yeah as much so, as you're allowed to go you, into. You know, so, then. so sort of knowing a little bit of that background, <laughs> you look at that and you go, okay, well, what were they interested in? Um, they were interested in open source and communities. Um, they were interested in containers. They eventually became interested in Kubernetes. Well, all three of those things are are right in our sweet spot. Like it's a technology space that is exploding for us. And so the ability to, to take on talent and people that have a vision in that space is, is super exciting. And then from a technology perspective, you know, Red Hat looks at what's going on in the world and, and we say, well, people want their IT to be more frictionless. Like they don't want to have to spend as much time maintaining stuff. Um, they want to be able to work across multiple cloud environments and the cloud already is pretty efficient. So, you know, being able to help people be efficient in the cloud, but also efficient, like in their own data centers, like that's super interesting. And so, you know, when we start to combine those things, which is world-class engineering, people that absolutely believe in open source, um, they've got expertise in some of these core areas for Red Hat. And then, you know, they've got expertise in stuff that we didn't before, which is, you know, automated operations, um, you know, uh, dynamic updates, um, immutable systems. Um, they're really well known in communities like Prometheus, which is, you know, the one that you know in Berlin. Like, it's a it's a win. It's it's kind of a, you know, it's a it's a wonky term, but it's sort of a, a win win in a bunch of different parameters. It's engineering, it's technology, it's philosophy of, you know, kind of how to work with 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 the market. Um, and, you know, the timing is right. People people are really interested in containers and Kubernetes. And so for for us to be able to that is really and I mean, it's it's an interesting time and probably the right time for some of these technologies to consolidate as well. Um, yeah, you know, and, and as a smaller company, it's hard to get to the reach that you want to. Right. It's so, you know, we, we that's what we bring to them. We bring them, you know, huge reach. Um, we've got a we've got a a really good track record of, you know, companies that have really well-known brands that we don't screw up their brand. I mean, you know, Ansible is a great example of that. Right. Like. Ansible had a humongous community with a very few number of people and the Ansible brand and community still exists and is still, you know, well-known and loved. It's no longer, it's not just like, we don't call it Red Hat automation on purpose. Um, and CoreOS is the same way. Like people liked CoreOS, they, they know it, they know the brand. And, you know, so we, we have an interest in, you know, helping them grow to you know, take advantage of what we do yeah. at scale. I, I mean, I'm, I'm conscious you probably don't necessarily know the answer to the next question yet, but just in principle, uh, OpenShift and mm -hmm. CoreOS's products have a fair bit of overlap. So in principle, how will you sure. look at how they how they sit together um and you know how will you look at what yeah. will stay what will go <laughs> what will merge how will you analyze this move forward yeah yeah that's a it's no it's a fair question yeah it, it's a it's a fair question um if for a lot of reasons right if you're a customer you want to know you want to have some idea of like okay did I, did I make a good investment or, you know, and so we've, we don't have the full kind of integrated roadmap yet. We actually, um, we actually expect to have that by the end of the month. Um, we're holding ourselves accountable to that we've, um, there's been pretty much nonstop engineering and product management meetings for the last two weeks of just 
we had a we had a very good sense at the time of the acquisition of like okay these are the core things that we want to do um the, even the last two weeks of face-to-face meetings you know they start to unlock some things that you you kind of can't share while you're doing a, a, an acquisition right there's because like the acquisition might fall through and so there's only so much you can share um we've been really pleasantly surprised um when we sat the engineers down and we went okay what does this do what does this really do because sometimes you you realize like sometimes like what's in the product today and and what's behind the scenes in the architecture could be you know kind of the tip of the iceberg and so we've been really pleasantly surprised at how many more things um are going to come out of it yeah here's the, the the high level way to take take away from this is um we you know, we want to maintain communities, right? Red Hat's always said, you know, we're, we're about communities, good ideas come out of communities. So we very much want to maintain the communities that are there in place. Um, you know, there will be, you can expect there will be some amount of, you know, kind of synergy and, and cooperation that'll happen between the products that, that appear to have overlap, right? It makes, it makes sense to say, let's take the best of what we have, um, you know, combine them where it makes sense um, so that our customers get the best of that. And then, you know, right now our, our third super near-term goal is to say, look, you know, we have existing customers that had previous expectations and if they, they bought something based on expectation, we're not going to leave them on an island. So, you know, we will, like I said, we'll have a better integrated roadmap. And I, 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 unfortunately have been telling everybody, like, I'm not, I don't want to give you a little piece of it because it'll, it'll create more questions than it answers questions. But, um, but you know, our, our goal is very much to say, look, I, I mean, look, there's this, there's this thing that happens, uh, when an acquisition happens where people tend to want to say like, Oh, what are you going to kill off? And it's, and it's a fair question because they're, on paper, you might say, well, there's some things that overlap. Here's the reality is Red Hat, uh, we don't own intellectual property, right? We're an open source company. We don't own intellectual property. We we hire engineering talent and then we go be part of communities and then we know how to how to you know take community assets and turn them into something that, that people feel are valuable enough to to pay us um, subscriptions for, right? So it's it's not in our best interest to go into any acquisition to say, well, what do I want to kill off, right? It's in our best interest to say, what do we do to to make this, you know, bigger than than just the acquisition? Um, and again, we feel like the the biggest takeaway from this will be um, it's going to help us accelerate the overall Kubernetes community to to grow faster, which is everybody. Um, and the, and the really big thing is we look at what they've done with automated operations as so differentiating um, and something that's really going to rejuvenate Red Hat. I mean, there's been so much excitement about what they do um, that being able to bring our engineering, uh, you know, kind of volume to their, their ideas is, is going to be really, really game changing. And it's going to be, you know, ultimately a big deal for customers because they're coming back to us and they're saying, man, I, I can't keep up with stuff. I can't keep up with, doing development faster. And then you're telling me that operations has to do upgrades every three months for Kubernetes. And, you know, how do we stabilize these systems? Like something had to change in order for, for that kind of imbalance to work out, you know, development goes faster and operations stay stable. Um, so, you know, what they do with, with automated operations is, is so big. Um, and we we're super excited about that too. So it, it gives you a little glimpse and we, you know, we talked about it in the FAQ, but gives you a little glimpse of kind of where we see this thing really being able to take off. And it's actually interesting because Kubernetes is one of these projects that relatively quickly has become 
huge, really. And with input from yeah. multiple yeah. large companies, I mean, it was a Google project, but I, I get the impression that Google don't really dominate the community too much. And you've also got Microsoft and Red Hat and a whole bunch of other large companies as well. So yeah, a lot of a lot of hundred pound grillers in the room, really. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think you know people people always want to compare projects to other projects. Um, I don't think. Um, the, the Google people, this is the interesting thing. So as, as incredibly smart as the Google team has been, um, and they're, they're brilliant. I mean, really brilliant people, brilliant engineers, um, their, their willingness to be humble about this and, and not try and overtake the project. Um, but also provide really, Google does this amazing thing where they look at problems like broad and deep, and, and their ability to give the community guidance on saying, you know, let's let's not make that short term decision because here's the five things down the road that it's going to impact. And um, so so Google has been amazing in, in number one, not trying to overwhelm the project, even though they were the, the big contributor, but also, you know, being this really good architect that says, hey, community wise, these are the types of big decisions we should be thinking about. Um, and. And because of that, you know, you, you've had the ability for Microsoft to come in and not feel like they they can't do anything because, you know, they, they compete with Google or Red Hat to come in and say, well, you know, we sell software both on prem and off prem, you know, not just into Google's cloud. Will they work with us? Like so, yeah, it's it's been the phenomenon of Kubernetes. The technology is really cool. The, the way the community has come together and allowed certain dynamics to just continue to be good um has been really that that's really the story is that you know three years in every company on the planet's working on it and and we don't see you know kind of some of the the infighting or or problems that have happened and a lot of it i we give a ton of credit to just the google stewardship of you know making it a great open source project um which is which is amazing because they didn't they didn't have a known track record of it and and this is almost sort of like they knocked it out of the park on their very first try which is uh which is really impressive i guess it's one of my uh my sort of two last questions for every interview the first one is sure. hard to answer i think because um you well, first you've already answered it and secondly i don't think you have anything further to add is like uh <laughs> what's next for OpenShift then um after this i guess if if mm-hmm. indeed you have anything else to plan after this or is it a fairly big change anyway <laughs> well I, I i think so we always OpenShift is an interesting product um in that most most IT products tend to be they, they kind of fit a certain silo, right? Like if you if you make an automation product like Ansible, it tends to be something that like IT operations cares about because they they want to automate stuff. If you make a like a middleware product like JBoss, it tends to be relative to developers because they go, oh, okay, this is you know services for my application. OpenShift is is really interesting because it it has relevance to both of those groups, and so. If you think about our roadmap, our roadmap has to be, um, you know, relevant to operators. So this is where a lot of the, the cool core OS stuff will eventually come in, right? You can just kind of envision automated operations, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. But but on the flip side, you know, we have to continue to innovate around what we do for for developers, and and what that ultimately means in the simplest sense is. I want to be able to run as many different types of applications containerized on OpenShift as possible. And that means, 
Like we've got to make it easier for you to take an existing application, put it in a container, run it on open shift. Um, we see that happen a lot, sort of these lift and shift legacy stuff. Um, we're seeing things like, like this Istio project, which is going to kind of reshape how new cloud native applications are built. Um, we're seeing serverless uh, frameworks that are being built on Kubernetes. So things like OpenFAS and Fission and uh, Kubeless and uh, OpenWhisk. We want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we contribute to those projects upstream. We want to make sure that if somebody says, I want to do a serverless, I want to build a serverless application, I want to use this framework, will it run on top of OpenShift? We just want to go, yes. Like, drop dead, simple, yes. Um, so we, we kind of have to, going forward, it's, uh, you know, make it easier to operate, um, you know, seamless, transitional, always secure. And then on the, on the application side, we need to be able to support as many applications as possible from, you know, big data to mobile, to serverless, to cloud native. Um, and, and that, that's ultimately, you can map out that roadmap for several years ahead of, of just trying to continually get better at making it more flexible for developers and more stable for operators. 